all the way through the Bible, God has been pointing to this time. And all the way through the Bible, God gives us what is the, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes and he sets up his kingdom on this earth. Again, what we call the millennium or the thousand year reign of Christ in Revelation chapter 20. In the first seven verses, you find that 1,000 years, six times. This is that time when the Lord Jesus Christ finally gets the glory that he deserves and understand what that actually means. This is the time on this planet when the manifest presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory is actually here on the earth. It's very important that you get that stuck in your mind. The millennium is the time when the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory is here on this earth in his manifest presence ruling and reigning over the entire earth. And the scripture says that every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Psalm 69 says that all of the earth will be singing the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving glory to him. The scripture also says concerning that time that it's the time, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's a most incredible time because for the last 6,000 years, the Lord Jesus Christ has not received the glory that he deserves, but this is the time. In Revelation chapter 20, when in just what I believe is going to be just a few years from now, at least seven of them, but I think it's going to be very soon when he actually comes to this planet and sets up his millennial kingdom. And what we've seen as we've talked about this time when the Lord Jesus Christ actually gets the glory that he deserves is that this is also the time when Satan finally gets what he deserves. And you can see there in verses 1 and 2 that this is the time when he is bound, he is chained, he is cast into the bottomless pit, and he finally gets what he deserves. And so what we learn from that is that in the millennium, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be glorified by removing Satan and him setting up his manifest presence on the earth and all of the earth, knowing who he is and the fullness of all that he is. But all of this has, has led us into a, a very significant time, I believe, in our church. And it's just kind of something that God has done through the years. He, he gets us moving in a direction through his word as we seek to just preach it week after week. And we come to a certain place to where God says, you know what, I, I just want to clear off a little space here and, and let's just talk shop. Let's just talk life for a little while and it's real cool to understand all the stuff that's going to go in the millennium but how does that affect right now what does that have anything to do with with your tomorrow what does that have to do with you bringing the glory to the lord jesus christ as an individual believer that he's designed for you to give to him and, and you know what kind of glory that is the glory that he deserves it, the psalmist talked about, give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. And what we've been talking about is, just quite honestly, there aren't many 
believers in Jesus Christ in the last days of the Laodicean church period who actually give to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Very few give to him the glory that he deserves. And what we've seen is though we're living in a period of time right now when God has not chosen to give glory to his son by removing Satan, God has chosen to give glory to his son right now by rescuing sinners, listen, just like you and me. He wants to receive glory in rescuing sinners and in us allow the manifest presence of Jesus Christ to rule and reign in the fullness of his glory in us in the same way that he's going to do literally from his throne in Jerusalem during the millennium. His manifest presence is to be revealed right now in us. He wants to fill us right now with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And this is what Paul was praying about in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. He says, I I want the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to be revealed in me right now. It's going to happen in the millennium, but I I I want that to happen to me now. And what we've been praying is that the Lord would get his rightful place in this church, that his manifest presence in the fullness of his glory would be revealed here so that we as a church experience the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in this place and beyond that when you go out of the four walls of this building this morning you living your life in the manifest presence of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his glory and you as you pour yourself into this book on a daily basis through the rest of this week coming to not just learn facts about God, not just knowing about Him, but coming to know Him in the fullness of His glory. And and something that we we haven't talked about in in the last several weeks as we've been talking about this that I I think is is very, very significant. I want you to listen very, very carefully. You know, a lot of people, when when they hear what we're talking about right here, this is what some people call... The deeper life. Oh, yeah, you guys are doing a little deeper life kick, you know. You've got to understand something, y'all. This is not just a deeper life kick. This is not, well, you know how Pastor Mark is, you know. We're kind of cruising through those studies, and he'll get on a little tangent for six, eight weeks, maybe 50 weeks, you know. You never know. <laughs> Uh, this is, but, you know, this is the way that it goes, and he'll get off of this, this, this little deal. You've got to understand something, y'all. This is not just a little deal. Do you understand? Very few believers understand what I'm about to say. Do you understand that you experiencing right now the manifest presence of God's glory in your life and you coming to the place to where you know him in the fullness of his glory, do you understand that that is going to affect you once the millennium actually comes? 
Now, now listen. You see, I think what a lot of believers think is, you know, I can just kind of jack around with this Christian life thing. And, you know, man, I'd like to, you know, live in that holiness thing. I'd like to know the presence of God. And I'd like to know, you know, the, his glory and know him. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be real cool. But, buddy, I do know this. One of these days at the second coming of Christ when he sets up his kingdom on the earth. Man, we're all going to be doing it then. Oh, yeah, we are. But what you do right now determines what you'll do then. And if you think that's my little way to get us all to listen today, you're right. But I didn't make it up. Go to Second Thessalonians for just a second. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And what this passage actually does is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, begins to describe for us, now listen now, catch the context. He's describing for us the events when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to set up that thousand-year kingdom that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 20. And this is what he says is going to happen. Okay, Look in verse 8 or at the end of verse 7. He's going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished, that is, all of those who have never come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now watch this. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now, now, now make sure you catch what he's saying here. Okay, now, now listen. Look up here. When he comes to set up his kingdom, when he comes to set up this millennial kingdom, he's going to come back to this earth and in flaming fire, every person that flipped God off by rejecting his son. It's the time of vengeance. It's the time when in flaming fire, he takes vengeance on those folks. But he also describes this time as the time when all of us that do know the Lord Jesus Christ glorify him. And I love the way that he says this. We will admire him. We, you know what we're going to do? We are going to give him the glory that is due his name. And you know what? If you're going to be there, it's not like this might happen. No, you will. You'll glorify him because you will be in absolute awe of that mighty power and glory that is his. Oh, we'll bring him glory and we'll admire him. Watch verse 11. Wherefore also we pray Always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. What calling? What he just talked about in verse 10. The calling to at the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to give him the glory that he deserves. He says, you know how I'm praying for you? You know how I'm always praying for you? That when you give him that glory... He'll count you worthy of doing what you're doing. Now, if Paul's always praying about it, 
it would lead you to believe that you could be glorifying him in that day and not be counted worthy. Oh, you will! There are going to be people there that because of the life that they lived down here in this present time will not be counted worthy of giving the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ that he actually deserves and the glory that will actually be giving to him. And to give us an actual biblical illustration of this thing, so that we can kind of look at something, because you know what, this is a, a little bit of a nebulous thing, this manifest presence of God, this glory of God revealed in you to where you know him. You know what, sometimes for, especially for us Laodicean concrete thinking believers, it's a little bit difficult for us to actually envision that, and so what we've seen is that God gives to us in his book a very clear illustration of what we're talking about so that we might be able to get it. So we can look at the illustration and go, okay, I see it now. And we've looked over the last several weeks, first of all, we've looked at the portrait of the Exodus. We've looked at the portrait of the Exodus. And we, what we've seen is if you go back into the Old Testament, God's people, the, the nation of Israel, were in Exodus. Okay? Or, or, I'm sorry, they were where? They were in Egypt. Okay, you can say it better than me. They were in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were being held there by Pharaoh. There was nothing they could do to get themselves out, and so God raised up a deliverer. And the way that they were actually delivered from the bondage that they were in in Egypt is through the blood of the Lamb. And what we've seen is that there are more column inches given to that story that we just talked about than any story in the entire Bible, Old or New Testament. In fact, the story picks up in the book of Exodus and runs all the way through to Joshua chapter 5. The book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and into Joshua is all about this this exodus, and we saw that God gave so much space to it because the exodus wasn't just a portion of Israel's history, but was a portrait of the Christian life. It's a portrait of the Christian life. Now listen, if you want to learn some, some lessons about the spiritual life that God has called you to, what you need to do is go back and study the exodus, and so that's what we're doing because you see as believers in Jesus Christ we too have experienced an exodus because we were in bondage to our what to our sin we were held captive uh, by Satan in his snare which is called the world Egypt is a picture of sin in the world in the Bible and what happened to us is God brought us out of the bondage of our sin the bondage that we were held uh, as we were held captive in this world system he brought us out the w same exact way that he brought the nation of Israel out through the blood of the Passover lamb. And so if we want to learn some things about this Christian life, we can go back and see it very tangibly because the same thing that was happening to them physically is what happened to us, how? Spiritually. Okay, and then we looked, and I want you to turn back a few pages to the book of 1 Corinthians. We looked at the portrait of the Exodus, and then we looked next at the precaution concerning the exodus, the precaution concerning 
the Exodus. You see, just in case we, we didn't connect the dots on this thing, just in case that Exodus back there is, you know, we just saw that as a separate thing from the Exodus that we've experienced. What God does is he clears off a space for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to make sure that we connect the dots, to make sure we don't miss the point. And in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what he does is he shows how the children of Israel in their Exodus experienced everything that we've experienced in our Exodus. All of them, he says, experienced God's guidance to bring them to the place to where they experienced God's deliverance so that they could experience God's power, so that they could experience God's provision. Now listen, that's the same exact thing that happened to every one of us when we were brought out of Egypt. He guided us to that place. He delivered us from the bondage of Pharaoh and that world system from Satan. He exercised his power on our behalf, and we have known the provision. But look at verse 5. But with many of them, that is, those that experienced that exodus in the nation of Israel, God was not well pleased. And we have seen that if you do the math on that many, and you go back and check out the exodus, what we found is that many is equal to what, y'all? Most of them. God was not well pleased, he says, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, listen now, they died having never experienced what the exodus was really all about. And then he comes in verse 6 and verse 11, and listen, God says in this passage something monumental. He says, now listen, the reason I'm telling you this about their exodus here, the reason I'm telling you that is not just so that you can be all dialed into Israel's history. It's not to bore you with facts. It's not to diss them out. The reason I'm telling you this, God says, is so that the same thing that happened to them in their exodus doesn't happen to you. What God's purpose in this whole passage is all about is he's saying, don't allow to happen to you in your exodus what happened to the children of Israel in theirs? Again, don't allow to happen to you in your exodus what happened to the children of Israel in theirs. And the fact is, folks, listen, most Christians, just like most of the children of Israel, most Christians get overthrown in the wilderness of life and die having never experienced God's purpose for their exodus. And so we've seen that the reason for that is that most believers, like the children of Israel, have never really understood the next thing on your outline, the purpose for the exodus, the purpose for the exodus. And we went to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23, and, and Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8, Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 38, and we've seen that God keeps saying to us, listen, I brought you out of Egypt to bring you in to Canaan. What God keeps trying to get us to understand is, listen, you're missing the point. You think that what this whole Exodus thing is all about is so that you can be brought out of the bondage of your sin. And listen, that was how this thing started, but that was not an end in itself, y'all. 
We didn't come to the point of salvation, that exodus where we were brought out of the bondage of our sin just so that we could get an angry God who was going to take out his wrath on every person who wasn't right with him. Listen, the whole thing wasn't just about that. It wasn't to get us out of the bondage of our sin and that snare that the world was holding on us. Yes, that happened. But the reason that happened was for something else. That was just... That was just part of the deal. In the same way that when you got married, you left home. That wasn't what marriage was. Marriage is all about cleaving to your spouse. And in the same way, we left Egypt so that God could bring us into Canaan. And we've seen that Canaan is the land that flows with milk and honey. To put it in the the terms of of our Christian life, what God is wanting, y'all is to bring us to the place to where we are living in the fullness of what life in Christ is all about. We were dead in trespasses and sins when we were in Egypt, and God brought us out of that. But now that he brought us out of that, and he's given us life, he wants us to make this journey in our life to come to the place to where we live now, in the fullness of the life of Christ. In other words, living in the manifest presence of Christ in the fullness of his glory in our life. Knowing him. That's what Canaan is all about. The purpose of the Exodus was so that we could be brought into Canaan. In John chapter 10, in verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more, what? Abundantly. Now listen, he did come to give you life. That was the exodus. The abundant life is where? This is where, y'all? <laughs> okay. Canaan. He gave us life over here. But abundant life is knowing the fullness of what that life is all about. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. What it says is that he delivered us from the power of Satan. That was the exodus. So that we could be brought under the power of God. And most people have experienced the exodus. But they've never experienced what the exodus is really all about. Most Christians miss that. And because they don't understand the purpose of why why God saved them, what ends up happening to them is they live frustrated Christian lives. They die defeated because they never really understand the purpose that God had in bringing them out of Egypt. And what I tried to get you to see last week is that as we go back and we, we look at the nation of Israel as God brought them out in that exodus, that God by just bringing them out, had already given to them Canaan. They did not yet take possession of it. But do you remember we saw that? That a hundred times, 78 in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, 22 times in Joshua, God says, I've given you the land of Canaan. I've given it to you. It's already yours. Okay, it just came with this whole thing of the Exodus. All they needed to do was just take 
that journey through the what? Through the wilderness, a journey that should have lasted how many days? 11 days and actually took them 40 years. There was a wilderness that they needed to go through, but they already were given the land of Canaan. That's why the land of Canaan was called what kind of land, y'all? The, the promised land, because God promised, when I bring you out of Egypt, I'm going to give you that land. And we've got to understand something, y'all. When you got saved, God promised you abundant life. It's yours. It's part and parcel of what he gave you when he saved you. But in coming out of Egypt, there is a wilderness. There is a period of time that God is actually bringing you to the possession of the land of Canaan and what this thing is really all about. And you remember last week what we saw? We saw that what was actually going on in the, the, the Exodus, uh, we've looked at the purpose for the, for the Exodus, now the purpose of the wilderness. We've got this, this journey, look next on your outline, the purpose of the wilderness is this. Whereas the purpose for the Exodus was to bring me out of Egypt, now say it with me, the purpose for the wilderness is to bring Egypt out of me. The Exodus was to bring me out of Egypt. The wilderness is to bring Egypt out of me. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 2, before we were delivered out of Egypt, what it says is we walked according to the course of this world. And what happened is the world, we were not only in the world, but the world was what? The world was in us. And what happened is God delivered us out of that world system. And now in this wilderness, now that he's brought us out, what, what he's saying to us is now what I want to do in this little journey that we would call... What would we call it in this church, this little wilderness journey? We'd call it discipleship. This is the reason that if you're here today as a, a new believer in Jesus Christ, or maybe you're an old believer in Jesus Christ, and your testimony today is this. 25 years ago, God brought me out of Egypt. Wonderful. It's glorious. But you see, what you've got to understand is there's somewhere that God's wanting to take you. And the wilderness is the place where most people get overthrown. And that's why God says, listen, the way I've designed this thing for it to happen is I don't want you to go through that wilderness by yourself. Somebody that's already in the land of Canaan needs to stretch out their spiritual hand and begin to help you through this wilderness journey. And, and, and listen... This wilderness time is when we come to the place to where we stop thinking like the world system that we were taken out of. It's where we stop talking like the world system that we were brought out of. It's where we stop living according to that world system that we were brought out of. The wilderness is where we stop loving this present evil world. That's what this wilderness thing is, is really all about. It's not, the exodus was to bring me out of Egypt. The wilderness is to bring Egypt out of me. And the whole key here is during the wilderness, what God wants 
to do is he wants to separate me from the world system unto God in all of his fullness. Being set apart from the world unto God. Key word there is separation. Secondly, whereas the purpose for the Exodus was to deliver me from the enemy without, namely Satan, the purpose for the wilderness is to deliver me from the enemy within, namely self. And you see, before all of us came to our exodus, when we lived in Egypt, what the Bible says is we not only lived for ourselves, but Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 says that we loved ourselves. And the will, what the wilderness is really all about is not only coming to the end of Satan and his world system, it's also coming to the end of self. The, the wilderness is the place of absolute surrender. Whereas the other one we looked at, it was a place of separation. This, what, what God's trying to do in, in helping me with, in this journey to unplug myself from myself and the love of self is he wants to bring me to a place of absolute surrender. And then thirdly, whereas the purpose for the Exodus was to get me on the way, Whereas the purpose for the exodus was to get me on the way, the purpose for the wilderness is to see if I'll go all the way. And you remember what we saw last week? God will never lead you past your, do you remember the next word? Willingness to go. He'll never lead you past your willingness to to go. And so what the wilderness is all about, the exodus is to get you on your way. The wilderness is to see, okay now, now that he's brought you out, are you willing? Are you willing to go all the way with him? And I want you to look back at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You guys as warm as me today? I do appreciate you working with me. I, I don't know if we've got air conditioned problem or not, but it beats hell. I know that. <laughs> okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. He says, And thou shalt remember all the way, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Watch what was going on in the wilderness, okay? Look at it. To humble thee. To bring you to a place of surrender. To humble thee. And to prove thee. You know what? The wilderness is a place of testing. To know what was in thine heart. Whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. You see what God's saying? Listen, what this wilderness journey is, and he says it, it took you 40 years because you kept failing the test. And, and you know what? It doesn't have to take you 40 years. I promise you, it will take you more than 11 days to unplug yourself from the world system and unplug yourself from a life of, of self. But what this thing is all about is to bring us to a place of humility 
before God. To bring us to a place to where we say before God, God, I am going all the way with you regardless of what it costs me. Regardless of the circumstances or the events of my life, God, look in my heart and know what's there because I am willing to go all the way with you. And, and again, I'm asking you, have you ever come to that place of surrender in your life, y'all? To where you've actually said to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will not allow this world system and the love of self to keep me from all that you've ex designed that the exodus be. I want to live in the fullness of all that you have for me. So, that's the purpose for the wilderness. Now let's talk about the peril of the wilderness. The peril of the wilderness. Okay, now, now, just look up here for just a second. Something happens to people after they've come out of Egypt and before they can get into Canaan, something very significant happens to most believers. Now, some people, they just come to a point to where they can never say before God, God, I'm willing to go all the way, and they're overthrown. There's a bunch of other well-meaning people. And this is the reason that I, I, I believe that God led me on this. And, and you know what? What I'm doing every week right now is just saying, God, I do think that the people of First Baptist, and, and you know my heart, I want to live in the land of Canaan. And so, God, would you help us to know where we are? Help us to hear what we need to hear so that we can actually get there. And, and so, uh, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. All I'm doing every week is just, after I preach the message on Sunday, I go, okay, God, now what? You still want to keep talking about this? And if so, what in the world do you want to say? Where are we? And, and you know what? I believe that this is where, where God led me this week in talking to this church about where we are. I think that most of the people in this room are willing to go and are very sincere and are very well-meaning in that desire. But they're, even with that willingness, even with that desire, even with that sincerity, there is a major peril that we face. And you know what? Unless you're real careful, you may go the rest of this message and go, yeah, I hope everybody's listening to that. Because that ain't me for sure, which would give certain evidence that this is you personified. The peril that I'm talking about is what I'm calling this morning Phariseeism. Phariseeism. I think the word Pharisee is written right below on your study sheet. And just add ISM, ism, in that little blank. Okay? That's why we're, we're calling this message today the heresy of becoming a Pharisee. Now, now listen, I think most of you are aware, but we do have new believers in here. The Pharisees were the religious bigwigs at the time of, of Jesus. They were people who were very determined to keep the Old Testament law of God, and they were so determined in that they had come to the place to where they were self-righteous in their fulfillment of the law. They ended up becoming a very proud group of people who actually fought against the real purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when Jesus was on this planet, he gave a very, very key warning concerning these Pharisees, of a warning that I believe is intended for this group of people, present company, most definitely included. This warning that he gives is repeated in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, Mark chapter 8, verse 15, and Luke chapter 12, and verse 1. Jesus said this, Take heed and beware. I mean, you can already see, this. whatever this is, this is pretty major. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what he's saying is, now listen, you need to be very, very careful because there's a very grave danger out there. And that is that the leaven of the Pharisees might get in you and a little leaven leaveneth the what? The whole lump. Listen, once you get Phariseeism in you, buddy, you better watch out because it'll mess you up at every turn. And if you want to know what the leaven of the Pharisees is, listen to Luke chapter 12 in verse 1. It identifies what the leaven actually is. It says this, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is... Anybody know? Hypocrisy. Now, now, what you need to hear this morning, listen now. There's a very, very great danger in the wilderness in coming out of Egypt that's going to keep you from getting into Canaan. And he says, listen, take heed and beware of it because it is Phariseeism. And so let's take a few minutes together this morning to make sure that we understand some of the key characteristics of the Pharisees. And let's just... With an honest heart, y'all, let's just see to what degree the leaven of the Pharisees has come into us and just see if Phariseeism isn't the thing that right now is keeping a lot of well-meaning, sincere people in this church from entering into the fullness of all that God has for you. That's the first characteristic of Pharisees. Number one, Pharisees have learned the art of the Christian life, but have lost and maybe we could say missed the heart of it. Pharisees have learned the art of the Christian life, but have lost the heart of it. Okay. Look at your heart right now and just see what's going on there. Has your Christianity become a very external thing with the heart really not reflective of everything that you've got going on in your world? Turn to, to Matthew chapter 15 and let me show you where this principle is found. Matthew chapter 15. Now, in Matthew chapter 15, right from the very outset of the chapter, he, he, Jesus is in a conversation with the, the Pharisees. And look at what he says in verse 7. The, the loving, graceful, 
merciful Jesus, God in a human body, says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And I can just tell you guys, it's real easy in this Christian life to get to the place to where you talk about your Christianity in a way that is not really reflective of what's going on on the inside of us. And it is the hypocrisy of Phariseeism. And once it's there, you'll never, as long as it's there, come into the fullness of all that God designed for you. Turn back with me to the book of Ezekiel. And let me show you what God says. This has always been a problem, y'all. Ezekiel chapter 33. And look at verse 31. Ezekiel 33, verse 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. Listen now. And they, they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words. Do you understand what he's saying? God is saying to Ezekiel, now, now listen, here's what's going on, man. All these people are coming before you, and they sit before you like they're my people, and, and they hear everything that you're preaching, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. You know how that happens in First Baptist Church? We come into this room, y'all, and with our mouth, we stand in this congregation and say some of the most surrendering words that could be uttered with the human mouth as we sing to God. And yet we have the ability to sing those words with our mouth and walk out of here and live a life of covetousness that is anything but surrender and we never connect that there's any discrepancy and we love being able to come into this place and sing the songs we sing in here. It brings a tear to my eye just about every week. And God says, ah! it is Phariseeism. And you know what, what, is, what is so wild about being a Pharisee? You don't see that you're not right with God. Do you understand something? These Pharisees in the time of Jesus... It wasn't like they were lying to everybody about who they thought they were. They really thought they were okay because they couldn't connect dots. They couldn't connect what they said with their mouth with what was going on on the inside. And in the book of Jeremiah, you don't need to turn there, Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 2, Jeremiah talked about people, he says, in whom God is near in their mouth, Listen, and far from their reins, near with their mouth, 
far from their reins. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Great way to remember that. Nearer in their mouth, far from their reins. In other words, they say all of the right stuff, but when it comes down to who's actually holding the reins of life, they hold them rather than God, even though they have their daily devotions and start their day saying some of the most incredible words that could be said, filing into church buildings and saying, singing some of the most incredible words that could be sung, and yet living a life of covetousness, living a life where we're still calling the shots. And you see, Phariseeism is us still calling the shots while we're talking all the lingo of a life that surrendered to Christ and God's not impressed with the words of our mouth, y'all. He's just like he always has done. He's always looked, not on outward appearance, he's always looked on the heart. We talk to people. Every once in a while, the door opens up. And you know what we'll do? We'll testify with our mouth. We'll say stuff like, oh, listen, the thing that you need to understand is that this Christian life... It's not about you adopting a religion. It's all about a it's all about a relationship with God through his son. Does that sound great? But if right now as we're saying those words to this lost person, if we could just put it on freeze frame and God would just hand them a video of your life for the last month leading into this conversation and they were to go and look for this relationship that you have with God would they be able to detect it if they watched a video of the last month of your life of how you have more than just a religion but you actually have a relationship with God through his son the Lord Jesus Christ And what I'm trying to get us to see here is that's Phariseeism. And it happens to a lot of well-meaning believers. And once it happens, until something intersects your life, you'll never come into the fullness of all that God designed the Christian life to be. Let's look at a second characteristic of the Pharisees. And turn back, if you would, or turn over now to back to the Gospel of Matthew, where we were a few minutes ago. This time, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter... Five, and once you're there, look at number two on your outline, and let me give it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Pharisees have learned to conform their behavior to the Christian life. Pharisees have learned to conform their behavior to the Christian life, but have not allowed God to transform their desires. 
It's real easy, y'all, to conform our behavior to everything that we think that God wants and yet never come to the place to where we allow him to transform the desires that we have. Now, now check it out. Jesus comes on the scene. Now, all of the people that he would have been preaching to would have been people that would have been influenced by the Pharisees, these religious bigwigs, these people who prided themselves in keeping the law of God and so that they didn't violate the law of God had even added hundreds of other laws so that they wouldn't break the law of God. And what they did is they passed all of that on to the people so that the people were going, how in the world are we ever going to do it? Because, man, there's all of these laws, and, man, I'm so sinful. And Jesus comes along, man, and he's healing people, and he's raising the dead, and the love is just permeating from his being. And yet, watch what he drops on him the first time he preaches. In verse 20, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the people would have been thinking, you got to be kidding me man exceed the righteousness of the pharisees man oh man we couldn't even come close to them and now you're telling us we got to exceed that you know what jesus is saying when you check out the context what he's saying is the pharisees have an external righteousness and god never planned that that be the essence of what life is all about And what he is about to do from this statement is internalize everything that the Pharisees had externalized. And you know this passage, what Jesus says in this passage. Now listen, you've been hearing, and you've been hearing this for a long time, and they had heard it from the Pharisees. Thou shalt not kill. And do you understand that a Pharisee? Never, man, because they were righteous. They would never ever murder anybody else. I mean, come, that would be unthinkable. And Jesus says, but what I'm saying to you is that the real issue is not just the act of murder, it's the attitude behind the act. And the attitude behind the act of murder is hate. And I'm saying to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. And you see, the Pharisees never dealt with The hate on the inside, they just made doggone sure they didn't kill anybody. And then Jesus goes on to the other biggie. He goes on to adultery. And let me guarantee doggone you that there wasn't going to be a Pharisee that was going to crawl in the sack with anybody. They're far too holy for that. And Jesus says, but what I'm saying to you is that the issue is not just the act. It's the attitude behind the act. And he says, and I'm telling you, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with a woman already. And whereas a Pharisee would never crawl in the sack with someone, <laughs> what was going on on the inside of them was perverted. And what I'm saying to you, y'all, What happens to us in the wilderness is we start learning all of the things that are taboo in the Christian life. 
And we stop doing all of those things. And when we stop doing all of those things, like the Pharisees, we start thinking we've got it going on. And yet, we are so far from what God intended. Because you see, listen, what Canaan is all about is not you stopping killing people, not you stopping committing fornication or adultery. What it's all about is not conforming your behavior to a list of what you view as the Christian life. What Canaan is all about is the transformation of your desires so that the hate in your heart is no longer there. There's been a transformation. Not just, well, I'm not going to talk mean to him anymore. While we glaze over the fact that we hate their guts, but because it's not the Christian thing to do, I'm going to be very kind to them. You know what Jesus calls that? Hypocrisy. And while we think we are so good, got it going on, it becomes the very thing because we think we got it going on, because we're not being mean to them anymore. It's the very thing that's keeping us from getting over there, because we think, like the Pharisees, we got it going on. And I'm asking you, in your Christian life, have you got it all cleaned up on the outside, but still got all of this stuff? going on on the inside of you. Oh, I would never do those things, but boy, would I like to. Go over to Matthew 23, where Jesus talks further about this. Matthew 23. <clears throat> and look at verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup, and of the platter, but within, they're full of extortion and excess. Excess is unbridled desire, unbridled lust. What he's saying is, you get all of the outside of your life looking all together, and you've missed what the issue of the Christian life was. It wasn't so that you could get the outside of your cup looking all smooth. God's desire was to transform you from the inside out. And most believers on this planet have transformed the outside and have never, ever dealt with the issues that are going on in the inside and think they're okay because they look at their life and they don't do all of this stuff. And God says, I look at you and I see your heart and it is full of a bunch of trash, if you will. Your cup is, is nasty dirty. You know what? You, you put your, your cup in, in the dishwasher, man. And when you yank that thing out, you don't look and they say, well, the outside's really great. Oh, the inside's full of all kind of groceries that we had that's caked on there from, you know, the last month. But who cares, man? Look at the outside of that thing. God doesn't really concern himself with the outside if it's not reflective of what's on the inside. He says in verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites? For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And again, for new believers, a sepulcher is, is a grave. It's the hole in the side of the, the cave. And, and what they do is they put that, you know, roll the stone over in front of it. And to make the thing look all pretty, they put this coat of white paint on the outside to get the thing whitewashed. And it looked great on the outside, man. Yeah, we're going to put flowers out in front of it. It looks great against that white background and all that kind of stuff. And he says, you know what, you, you, you Pharisees, that's exactly what you're like. You got the outside of you all whitewashed, looking smooth, man. But he says, inside, you're full of dead men's bones and you stink. It's been years ago now. Uh, the deacons went out to a, a bed and breakfast out in Amish country for a little retreat. And I kind of liked the place. It was a nice little setting out there. And so I thought I'd bring fam out there. And so the kids were little. We, we went out to this bed and breakfast. And we, I didn't stay in the same room that I stayed in when I was with the deacons. And uh, we're in this room, man. And I'm telling you, somewhere, something died, man. I mean, literally. I mean, there was a mouse somewhere in a wall or something happened somewhere. But you know that dead smell? And, buddy, they had bowls of potpourri everywhere. In that, you know, everywhere I looked, there's some kind of air freshener going on. And I could smell that air freshener in the midst of all of that dead smell coming on. And you know what? It about made me sick. And I'm just wondering, y'all, the the Bible talks about that sweet-smelling savor that worship is to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just wonder, as we worshiped God in this room today, as that sweet-smelling savor was coming from our lips, I just wonder if the aroma that was coming from the inside of us blended with that sweetness wasn't a stench in his nostrils that said we gotta be real careful y'all that we're allowing God to transform our desires and if you want to know how you're doing with God don't look at the outside of your cup Don't look at the whitewash on the the grave. Take a whiff on the inside. Look inside the cup and see, do you still have the same desires you had as a lost person? You have just learned how to exercise self-discipline so that you don't do them anymore. But the same stuff is going on the inside. And we've got to just somehow, and, and you know what? I, I, don't know, I don't know how this is, I don't know how you're hearing this today. I believe with all of my heart. Some of us have, have lost our way in the wilderness because we think we're doing all right. But it's because of where we're looking. If you want to know if you're doing all right, look where God's looking. 
Look at the third thing. Pharisees put the emphasis of the Christian life on the wrong syllable. And if you want to know how to spell that, put the emphasis of the Christian life on the wrong syllable. Pharisees put the emphasis of the Christian life on the wrong syllable. Some of, are you guys okay? You understand that? They put the emphasis of the Christian life on the wrong syllable. Look here in Matthew 23, right where you are, and look at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. What he's talking about here is you tithe off of the tiniest little seeds. For those of you that are new believers, a tithe is a tenth of that which God has blessed you with. And sometimes, well, in our culture, obviously, that's money, okay? In this culture, sometimes you would receive payment for things in terms of grain or seeds and all that. And he, the Pharisees were so meticulous that every time they would get, you know, 20 seeds, they'd take these little seeds. And go, 20, okay? So two of these tiny little seeds go to God. And that's what they had going on, okay? Now, now watch what he says, middle of verse 23. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law, like judgment and mercy and faith. Now watch this. These ought ye to have done. You know what he's saying there? You should have been tithing off of the little tiny little seeds. You should have done that. And not to leave the other undone and oh my oh my oh my and I, I I wish that I could I wish I could just start giving you illustrations but they're too close to home y'all of how Christians can get their life to where they have got this whole little world going on to where they are so spiritual and they dot every little I and cross every little T and got everything going on. And they are just, oh man, because they give so much attention to these little details, they think they're so spiritual. While the stuff over here that really matters, they're clueless. They never deal with it. They're over here getting all these little meticulous little areas of the Christian life going on and making sure that they very dutifully are here every time the doors are open. They've memorized all their verses in discipleship or they've made their little disciple. They've done all these little things. They tithe off of every little thing that comes while they live with bitterness in their heart toward other believers and will not deal with the very essence of the Christian life. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By the way, you love one another. And while we can justify somehow because of all this stuff that we got going on in our Christian life, all this meticulous little, I tithe and I do this, 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 and this, and this. And the weightier matters. The stuff that this world looks at and says, you guys are so crazy. 
How do you do this? How do you play that game and have this going on in your life? And if that's what your Christian Christianity is, man, I don't want any part of that. And it's just so easy to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Now, let me just say this to you. You ought to be very meticulous in every area of your Christian life. And that's what he says. You ought to have done that. Now, what, what is, we haven't done this in a lot of years. What, what is so crazy is that a lot of you have never even come to the point to where you become meticulous in what God has blessed you with, and you don't even offer what is a, a tie, the tenth of your income. And you know what? If you give it or you don't, I'm not going to get any more money this week. The motive here has nothing to do with me getting money from the people. But listen, what Jesus says is, you should have done that. You should have tithed. But not leave, left the weightier matters undone. Listen to the way that he said it in Luke 11.42. Same, same passage. He says, you tithe on all this stuff and pass over judgment and the love of God. You do this, you tithe off all of this stuff, and at the same time you pass over judgment and the love of God. Which we could say this. It means you can give without loving. Pharisees did that. One thing is for sure though, y'all. You can't love without, without giving. You tithe, and yet you don't love God, but the opposite is, is also true. If you love God, come on, this, this, is, this is simple. But if you love God, the love of God is going to be shut abroad from your heart. And I'm just telling you, y'all, I don't care how many times you're here if the door's open. I don't care how much money you give in a year's time. I don't care what all you've got going on in your Christian life. I don't care if you've memorized the entire New Testament. If there is bitter envy and strife and unforgiveness in your spirit you know what you've missed the essence of the Christian life and what's happened to you is you've become blind because you've put the emphasis on the wrong thing and it's Phariseeism and it'll keep you out of what God designed this thing to actually be and then quickly number four Pharisees have learned to appear to be more spiritual in the eyes of men than God knows they really are. And, and just, just look up here, and, and I'll, I'll tie a little bow on this, okay? One of the things that Pharisees kick into is this gear of wanting people to think we're spiritual and we've got it going on. And all the while, people may think that of us. God is up in heaven going, who cares what they think? Because I think And again, what is, what is so weird about the Pharisees is they really don't know 
because they're blind to their own sin and have an incredibly difficult time. All you got to do is just, and you know what I've done in preparation for today? I looked up every reference in the Bible that had to do with Pharisees, and I just looked at it, and you know what? They had the hardest time in the world when Jesus would confront them with the most harsh words. You snakes! You vipers! He says. You know what he's saying? You are the lowest scoundrels that I can think of. You don't get any lower than a snake, y'all. Goes on his belly. You snakes, you vipers, you hypocrites. And he faces them and he faces them and he faces them. And you know what? They look at him and go, who does that sucker think he is saying that stuff to me? Because look at my life. Look at what I got going on. And I'm just telling you, if today you've come through this thing and that's been your attitude, you are either an incredibly holy person that needs to preach next Sunday and tell us how to get into Canaan so I can shut up. Or the very thing that we've been talking about today is where you are. And oh my goodness, y'all, one of the best things that could happen to you is if you could sit in this service today and go, hey God, I'm afraid some of the leaven of the Pharisees has gotten in me. You know what? If you could take ownership of the fact You've begun, you've begun to externalize your Christian life. If you could just take ownership of that and begin to call what's going on in your life what God calls it. Do you understand? That's not going to move you further away from God by you taking ownership of it. And you see, Pharisees want to convince themselves they're right with God, and so they never want to admit it. But by admitting it, it's what breaks you out of that circle in the wilderness. It, it breaks you and gets you moving in the right direction again. But if we can't take ownership of it, if we can't get honest about it, here we go. Will it go around in circles? Over and over and over. Would you take ownership of it today? Would you just get honest with God and say, Oh God, that leaven, to whatever degree, I don't know, what, what, has it to any degree? Has it gotten into you? And will you take ownership of it? Let, let's bow our heads. And can I be honest with you? Uh, <laughs> the reason that I understand what I'm preaching so well is because the leaven of the Pharisees is in me. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. How many of you get honest and say, you know what? It's in me too. At least some of that leaven is in me. Would you raise your hand? Praise God. Praise God that we could be honest. Thank you. You could put those hands down. You know what? Monumental day, man. For Pharisees like me and Pharisees like you. To come to the place to where we would say, yes, Lord, 
my outside is a whole lot prettier than the inside. But, oh, God, I want you to transform me from the inside out. And, oh, God, get me out of that circle in the wilderness. Help me to get into the land of Canaan. Would you pray right now from your heart? Oh, talk to God. Confess your sin. And, and listen, call it what it is to God. Let him intersect you and get you out of that, that circle that you're going in in your life and move you in a different direction today. Oh, man, I believe that victories could be won in this service today if you just get honest with God. And, and listen, just tune me out, believers, right now. Just tune me out. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, listen, you've got to understand, you're in the bondage of your sin. And God came to this planet in the person of Jesus Christ to deliver you out because he's got so much more for you. Man, there is a life of fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as long as we're in our sin, we're held captive by Satan in his snare. And the penalty for that, as we saw earlier this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to this planet in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all of those who can hear about the gospel of God, the good news of what God has done on our behalf, and discount that and refuse that. He says he's coming back to take vengeance on all of them. But God wants to bring you out. He wants to bring you into his family today. And as our service is concluded, on either side of the front of this room, if you're here today and don't know Christ, our pastors are going to position themselves right by the doors up here, and we'd love to invite you today to come talk to someone about your need to receive Jesus Christ and find out today from God's Word how He can deliver you out of your bondage. And Lord, thank you so much that you care for us the way that you do and that even though your Word cuts us and rebukes us as you wrote to the Laodicean church as many as I love I rebuke and chasten and Lord we thank you today for loving us enough to show us ourselves thank you for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people this morning that raised their hand taking ownership of where they are and oh God would you use it this week in our life to intersect us and to draw us out of that 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 pattern that that circle that we we worn so deep in in the wilderness and help us to get out of that moving on our way into the fullness of all that you've designed and we ask this in jesus name amen